If you have your Bibles, please turn to James chapter 5. This is the final message here in our James series. It comes to a close here today with a message that's simply entitled, When Life Hands You Lemons. And that expression will become, when you're dealt a very difficult situation in your life, you know that expression, sometimes you say, well, when life hands you lemons. How many of you have ever heard that expression before? And we're going to walk through that a little bit here today. Um, but I want to uh, just kind of give you a little bit of an idea of some things that I was wrestling with this week in preparation for this message. And I think when we go through a, a, a harder than normal week or whatever it might be, um, sometimes you just think, well, we're just going to grind through this. And, but there were just some aspects of this week where I just felt to a certain degree um, like Satan's wanting to, to stir the pot a little bit. Okay, he's wanting to distract me. He, he's wanting to slow me down and discourage me. Um, some of that was health-related. I know there's colds that are going around. I woke up one morning, and my, my, my neck and, and uh, upper back was really stiff and sore, and I could hardly move my neck, and, and it was like, oh, my goodness. And there's just lots of things that needed to be done and, and meetings in the evening and all of that stuff. And so you're just kind of walking around a little groggy, during the week, how many of you have ever had a week like that where you're just kind of groggy, okay? And at the same time, I'm also putting together a message that I just feel is incredibly applicable to the things we walk through in life. And it's like, Lord, I want this to be a message that encourages people and strengthens people. And to a certain degree, I feel like Satan does not want this message to go well, okay? And the other part of it is somebody tried to impersonate me this week. Some of you maybe heard that. He, an individual was texting people from our congregation or who tune in online, and they were asking for help in my name. This is Pastor Russ. I need a favor, and I want you to buy some gift cards for some things I'm going to do. And so we had to kind of work through that situation. And I just I want to share that here, just that if any of you get a text message like that, Text the real Russell and buy gift cards, okay? And I'm, but just seriously, though, don't fall for the bait. Uh, don't even reply to the number. That's not me. Uh, we wouldn't do that kind of thing. Um, and so just be aware that if you're watching online, same thing. And I, I also just want to take a moment that if the individual is watching, I want you to know a couple of things. Number one, we love you. Number two, God loves you. And we just invite you to enter in to worship with us today. And we're praying that, that God would bless you. And he wants to bless you. So thank you for tuning in if you are watching. But let's go ahead and pray for the message today. Are you guys ready to get into the word? All right, let's do this. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time together in your word. Lord, I ask that you would settle our hearts today to receive from you. Your word speaks powerfully into our lives, into our circumstances. Whatever our week has been, whether it's been discouraging or difficult or tough or groggy or whatever, or maybe it's been a great week, we just set all of that aside. And in this moment, we want to hear from you. And so, Lord, I'm asking for your help in delivering this message. 
Lord, that you would bless this time, that you would silence things in the spiritual realm so that our hearts are ready to receive clearly what it is that you're trying to say. So, Lord, bless this time together as we dig in. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, James chapter 5, starting here in verse 7. Here we go. Dear brothers and sisters, be patient as you wait for the Lord's return. Consider the farmers who patiently wait for the rains in the fall and in the spring. They eagerly look for the valuable harvest to ripen. You too must be patient, so take courage, for the coming of the Lord is near. Don't grumble about each other, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. For look, the judge is standing at the door. For examples of patience in suffering, dear brothers and sisters, look at the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We give great honor to those who endure under suffering. For instance, you know about Job, a man of great endurance, You can see how the Lord was kind to him at the end, for the Lord is full of tenderness and mercy. But most of all, my brothers and sisters, never take an oath by heaven or earth or anything else. Just say a simple yes or no, so that you will not sin and be condemned. Are any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. Are any of you happy? You should sing praises. Are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick, and the Lord will make you well. And if you have committed any sins, you will be forgiven. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Elijah was as human as we are, and yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. Then when he prayed again, the sky sent down rain and the earth began to yield its crops. My dear brothers and sisters, if someone among you wanders away from the truth and is brought back, You can be sure that whoever brings the sinner back from wandering will save that person from death and bring about the forgiveness of many sins. All right. Let's start to unpack. Let's start to walk through this here. That first section, verses 7 through 12, I just want to address the big point that James is making here is that Jesus is coming back. He's going to be returning, and He is the rightful judge, and He will settle things. Jesus is coming back. Okay? All right, now, here's the deal. A lot of you are farmers. You were in need of rain this summer. How many of you were eagerly awaiting the rain? Okay, we need the rain. And just like the farmers who are eagerly awaiting the rain, James is saying, eagerly await the return of Jesus. Do we think about that often? Jesus is coming back. And so there's a reality 
to that. I know that we can get so caught up in our world here on earth that we forget, oh, there is something that is way bigger that is going to be in our future. And so James is trying to, to bring that into focus. And so he says, so like in the meantime, while you're here on this earth, uh, be patient and, and endure. Take courage and, and even be encouraged. He even mentions uh, Job and, and uses that as a witness for all of us to understand that we might walk through difficult things. Life might hand us some lemons. But he's saying, look at how God blessed Job in the end. And not just in the end here on earth. The Lord is compassionate. The Lord is merciful. And we should eagerly look for Him. I just want to kind of bring this into a little bit of a a story maybe we could uh, relate with. But one time I, I went into the doctor's office... And you know how like the protocol is the assistant sees you and they kind of go through and they get your know, blood pressure and all that stuff, ask you a few questions, and then and the doctor will be right with you. And then they leave the room and you sit there and you wait. And you wait some more. And I remember in one situation, I was in a room next to where the doctor was and the other patient was, and I could hear their voices talking, and there's a part of me in my flesh where I'm like, let's go. And then finally the doctor comes in and the appointment begins. But just think in that type of waiting, to some degree, that's where we're at. We're waiting for our Lord to return. And he's way bigger and better than any doctor. And his timing is perfect. And so thinking of that, if his timing is perfect, then I think I can be patient. No pun intended. I think I can endure. I think I can be encouraged that the Lord, he does know what he's doing. And so... I will walk through whatever this life brings, but knowing that the Lord is going to return and make everything right. But you and I, we still walk through difficult things while we're in the waiting room, don't we? And I think James gives us some things here in regards to the waiting, that while we walk through difficult things, he covers a whole section here with topics about prayer, Things like sickness and healing and things like sin and also forgiveness. And we see that touched on in verses 13 through 18. And one of the things we see particularly in this section here in verse 16 talks about these prayers that are effective. And so I want to break this down. What does effective praying look like while you and I walk here in the waiting room What does an effective prayer life look like? And one of the first things I want to touch on is the first step to effective praying is you need to have the right heart. Hey, is there a humility before the Lord? Is there any sin issue that's currently left unchecked? You know, do we have the right heart, the right posture 
when we're lifting our hearts to the Lord. And we need to ask the Holy Spirit, Lord, is there anything in me that we need to work through here? Is there things that you want me to confess? Is there things that, that you want to change in me? And, and God, please make my heart right. Okay? And that verse says that the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. So step one is that, that we have a right heart with the Lord. The next thing is, is that our relationships, like on a horizontal level, are right. Is there any uh, unforgiveness that's lingering? Is there any hatred of somebody? Is there anything that, that there's tension in a relationship that needs to just be worked out in some way? Um, are our relationships healthy? Okay, that's another aspect. Make sure our relationships are healthy. Try to live peaceably with people. And make sure that our relationships are right. The next thing to address is, is there a persistency with my prayer life? Are we persistent in the things that we are praying for? And I, I want to walk us through some obstacles for effective praying that I think are obstacles for being persistent. And one of the things is, is sometimes we just get too busy that we're not praying as much. Or maybe that's just me. Can anybody else relate to that? Okay. Or we're, we're too distracted. We're all caught up with the stuff in the waiting room that we forget to, to be in prayer. Or we're too lazy. Just I keep doing it, I'm just, I'm done. And part of that is because maybe we're too disappointed with God. Okay, we don't like the circumstance we're in, that there are some lemons, and so we're just frustrated with God. What's the point of even praying? I'm kind of disappointed in Him right now. And the other one is, especially in our culture, we're too self-sufficient. I feel like we kind of have everything we need, right? And if we don't have it, we'll just go out and get it. And so sometimes these can be obstacles to effective prayer, and I think that can also interrupt prayers that are persistent and continuing to ask and continuing to pray. Another aspect of effective praying is that it's partnered. Now, here's what I mean by this. There's something that I might be praying through, okay? And I know James 5.16 says that the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective, that there are going to be times in my life where if I'm praying over something, I'm going to invite other people in to pray with me for that specific thing. Because I think there's power in that. I think God does things in the midst of that. So a partnered prayer. We're bringing this to other people who can pray with us for these things. Okay, another one here is effective praying keeps an eternal perspective. An eternal perspective. I just want to read to you just a little excerpt from a book I have that was written by a minister. Her name is uh, Cheryl Taylor. And it's about that you and I live in this very temporary world. Okay? And there's, there's much bigger things that you and I should be focusing on. And I love how she puts this as far as keeping an eternal perspective. She says, we can live as if this world is all there is. Or we can view our earthly existence 
as a brief pilgrimage designed to prepare us for eternity. The biblical view emphasizes that the brevity of our earthly sojourn and it stresses the urgency of investing our time and energy in a way that will have lasting consequences. So by contrast, those who adopt a very temporal paradigm, they typically deny the imminence of death and they treat the temporal as though it were eternal. Sadly, this this view here is where a lot of Western Christians get caught up. We live in the temporary, in this temporary arena, if you will. The responsibilities and the pressures of this world clamor for our attention and tend to squeeze our inner lives and starve our souls. She says, I was keenly reminded of how easy it is to develop a temporary focus the summer I spent in Uganda, Africa. She says, each weekend my husband and I traveled from village to village preaching in churches and the country was experiencing severe drought and most people were, wand- were wondering where their next meal would come from. She says, after one service, the pastor presented us with a love offering of five eggs. They could either be used for food or produce more chickens for even more food. The depth of their tremendous sacrifice brought tears to our eyes. And my husband said to me, this is the largest honorarium I have ever received for preaching. Five eggs. To this day, her husband keeps those five hollowed out eggshells in a basket in his office. It's a visible reminder of the things that truly matter in this life. That might seem so insignificant to us. Five eggs. But in a different culture, different context, that meant something so much more. And it says, when we are tempted to shift our focus on the temporary, all we have to do is look at those eggs. And it takes great risk to shift to a biblical paradigm because it challenges everything that our culture reinforces. Our culture is all about our comfort. Our culture is all about the things we want to do, all the things that we can buy, whatever we can do to make this journey more enjoyable, we do it. But the more we have invested in the temporary paradigm, the more we think we have to lose when we try to shift our mind to eternal things. If we could just remember the brevity of our sojourn here, we would determine to pursue things that will last rather than things that are passing away. We would choose to transfer our affections and ambitions from the immediate to things that are in our ultimate home, which is heaven. So effective praying you're going to be praying things that aren't necessarily for the temporary stuff. We have to back up a little bit and big picture pray. When I pray, how is this going to affect things 100 years from now? That's the kind of mindset we're talking about, and that's where there's effective prayers. Another thing to effective praying is an expectancy. And I think we can go through seasons of of highs and lows in this area where we're 
Maybe we're praying for something over and over and over and we start to lose an expectancy like God's going to actually answer this prayer. I don't know if anybody can relate with me on that one. If you've prayed for something and you've been through seasons of prayer where it's just like this isn't getting answered the way that I would like to see it get answered. And you don't understand why it's not getting answered. But I want to encourage us is that even if you walk through those things, still just lean in. At any moment, God could do something. Sometimes it's hard to do that on your own, and that's where that partnered prayer is really good because when I'm discouraged, that partner can come right in and, and encourage and say, it's, this is going to happen, we're going to keep praying, and, and we, we just encourage each other with that expectancy. Another thing is praying God's will. I loved Mark Larson's message last week, and one of the things he left us with is palms up, I don't know if you remember that. It's like we plan, we plan, we plan, but then we also hold our palms up and saying, God, whatever you want to do, we're open to change here. And with that same picture in mind, when we pray and we're praying the Lord's will, it's like, Lord, this is what I am praying about, but at the same time, I'm living palms up and I'm saying, Lord, but if there's something that you're wanting to do that's better or that's going to glorify you more, I'm going to trust that you know what you're doing more than what I know. And so we pray palms up, asking for God's will to be done. Looking at expectancy and praying in the will of God, I want us to hear from a particular pastor named Rob Ketterlink, and he's up in Minneapolis. And I love how he takes a balance of these two things when it comes for praying for people, especially when they're going through a situation where it feels like God's not answering their prayers. Might even be specifically regarding a sickness or an illness. And I want to walk us through this. Here's, this is from a book that he wrote called Fix It. And I love this section about prayer, especially prayer for healing. He says, during the period that I gave up on God's willingness to heal. So he struggled with this. He and his wife were praying about something and God was not answering it in their time. And it got to a point where they just kind of gave up. They actually stopped praying about it for a season just because they were already just like, well, we've prayed about it. God hasn't done it, so we're kind of done. And then one night at a ministry event, the speaker came up to them and said, is there anything I can pray for? And his wife shocked him because she said, yes, you can pray for this. And he's like, whoa, I thought we were done praying about that, but I guess we're going to pray for it tonight. They prayed, and the healing took place just like that. And it blew him away. But he lived in this season where he had lost a hope and an expectation, but yet God in His grace showed up, did a miracle, and he's testifying on this. He says, I gave up on God's willingness to heal, and I reduced God to just a little smaller than the size of my problem. I believed that He could fix it but that he wouldn't. So after the healing took place that they prayed for, he says, I realized my faulty view of reality doesn't limit God's love and power. The reality of God's greatness and grace never diminishes, even though my hard reality seems bigger than him. When I was trying to be content 
He says, people asked me to pray for them or a loved one who is very sick, often dying of cancer or some other terminal disease. And I put my hand on them and I said, Lord, if you want to heal this person, please do that. But yet as I was praying, I was thinking this, but I don't think you will. You're a loving God, but you really don't heal any longer. You'll heal him in heaven, but not here. And then I'd finish and I'd say, in Jesus' name, amen. I had become a chaplain to comfort people, but I abdicated my role as a pastor who's empowered by God to trust him for miracles. And one day God spoke to me and said, don't let your circumstances limit my power. And I realized we live in an overlap of ages. Now, I'm going to get to that in a second. But the old age was before Christ came, and it was characterized by sin, sickness, and death. And when Jesus came, He announced the inauguration of the kingdom of God. And as we look around at all the suffering, the sickness, the violence, and selfishness, we wonder, can this really be Christ's kingdom? We need to understand that His kingdom has already been inaugurated, but it hasn't yet been consummated. In the coming age when Christ returns, we addressed that at the beginning of James. When He returns, all wrongs will be made right. All sin becomes past tense, and all sickness is healed. And all doubts turn to joy as we experience unhindered love, power, and purpose of God in His glorious presence. In the meantime, we live, we live between the already but not yet. A time when some of the promises have been fulfilled and the rest will be fulfilled on that day when we see Jesus face to face. In Paul's letter to the Romans, he states that, that we groan inwardly as we eagerly await our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies, for in this hope we are saved. And he's explaining the truth that Christ's death on the cross has already fulfilled His promise to forgive us and to impute His righteousness to us and adopt us into God's family. But in this life, we look forward to the ultimate fulfillment of all the promises in the new heaven and the new earth. So what does this have to do with praying for healing? He says it has to do everything with that. Jesus' death paid for the healing of every person. By His wounds we are healed. All sickness yields to the power of the cross of Jesus. Wholeness, the complete absence of sickness and suffering, wholeness is waiting for us in heaven. But this is the truth we cling to. Sickness was taken care of on Calvary and complete healing is promised in the future when we see Jesus face to face. And when we ask God for a miracle, we're asking Him to bring some of heaven into our circumstance right here and right now. And God still does that today. That's what a miracle is, when God brings a taste of eternity into our present. I used to pray, Lord, if it's your will, heal this person. 
And I didn't want to presume whether God would heal now or later. And to be honest, I was pretty sure it was always going to be later. But then he says, but my prayers have changed. Now he says, Lord, I know it's your will that this person is healed. Now in your goodness, would you release the miracle of healing promised in heaven into this person's life right now? This certainly doesn't guarantee that every person will be healed on this side of heaven, but it does acknowledge that it is God's will, His promise, in fact, to heal. I'm only praying that He would maybe move up the schedule. And with this perspective, I can pray with absolutely no reservation. I'm completely convinced God is going to heal each person. I just don't know when. He says, I tell people, you're moving closer each day to complete healing. And I don't know if that will happen on this side of the curtain or on that side, but you can be sure that it is coming. I just don't know God's schedule. We may see the miracle day today, or we'll see it on that glorious day, but either way, we have a rock-solid confidence that it will happen. And when we believe and pray this way, we aren't consumed with confusion and doubt or a gnawing guilt that we don't have enough faith. That's where you can get into some pretty slippery stuff there. He says, we recognize that God is both infinitely loving and infinitely powerful, and we trust that He is infinitely wise and knows what's best, when to fulfill His promises. If God chooses not to heal the person now, He has all of eternity to make it up to them. And after, He wipes away every tear and heals every infirmity and disease. And I want you to look at this slide here, because in Psalm 103, verse 3, the Bible says that God forgives all iniquities, and he heals all diseases. And that verse that he quoted in that book right there from Isaiah 53, 5, that by Jesus' stripes we are healed, and it's also quoted again in 1 Peter 2, that by Jesus' stripes we were healed. And I want us to just imagine for a second here that the pulpit is the cross, okay? And Isaiah is looking ahead to the cross, and he says, by Jesus' stripes... We are healed. He's looking forward to the cross. Now, when 1 Peter is written, the cross and Jesus going to the cross has already happened. And so he's looking back at that, and he's saying, by Jesus' stripes, we were healed. And so if you go to the next slide, I think there's something to understand that Jesus bore our sin and our sicknesses, and He did that on the cross. He paid the penalty for sin. And the reason why people get sick today is because we live in a sin-cursed world. The the reason why people make decisions that aren't pleasing to God is because we live in a sin-cursed world. But at the cross, Jesus paid the penalty for the curse of sin. And for you and I, here and now, We can live with the power of Jesus Christ, but we still live in a sin-cursed world. People ask questions like, why do believers still get sick? Well, let me flip that question. Why do believers still sin? Because they live in a sin-cursed world. Why do people still get sick today? Because we live in a sin-cursed world. And we can pray, Lord, if You could just open up heaven and and heal this person. And I'm telling you folks, we have seen that. We have seen God heal people. And I've also seen God not heal people this side of heaven. 
He chose to heal them with heaven. And that leads us to the next thing that ultimately, until we're gone from the presence of sin and we have our home in heaven, we will struggle with sin. A famous author, Tim Keller, is battling pancreatic cancer. And he says, I'm not fighting cancer. I'm fighting sin. That's where it all comes from. And so, as we walk through life, please understand that there's going to be difficult things. Life's going to hand us lemons. You know why? Because we live in a sin-cursed world. And we're going to pray for people that they could walk in freedom from sin and that they could walk in healing. And we'll pray and God's going to answer prayers this side of heaven. And sometimes we have to live palms up and say, Lord, we're praying for this, but we also know that total and complete healing takes place in heaven. There's a couple of extremes that people camp out in when it comes to Jesus healing today. One extreme is Jesus doesn't do that today. And I'm just going to tell you right now, yes, he does. There's tons of testimonies of how Jesus heals. I can speak to that in my own life. Physical healing. Jesus still does that today through the power of the Holy Spirit. The other side of that, though, the other extreme is, well, you just don't have enough faith. That is a very dangerous weapon. If you just had a little more faith, then you'd be healed. And I want to just tell you something. How are you saved? Is it by faith? Or is it by grace? Through faith. And I think the same way when it comes to healing is people are healed this side of heaven by God's grace. And we come to Him in His grace believing that He can do a miracle and we pray and we leave the results up to God. We leave the results up to Him. So here's the thing. James closes with these two verses. I think he's walking through some lemons here and he's saying, hey, you, listen guys, Be in prayer over these things regarding healing from sickness and forgiveness of sin. But here's the thing. When we become impatient or we become disappointed with circumstances that we're walking through, oftentimes people begin to wander around away from the Lord and they even start to make decisions that are rebellious. And James addresses this. He says, if anyone wanders from the truth... Bring them back. Bring them back. Folks, you're going to walk through things in life where you get impatient with the Lord. You're going to walk through things in life where you become disappointed with Him. But folks, He loves you. And if you're making decisions in rebellion, I want you to know He wants to forgive you. He's trying to call you back. And if there's a brother and sister in Christ that can come around you and just say, hey, let's walk this together. I know you're discouraged, but this isn't where God wants you to be, just wandering around. And we often ask the question, why, when we go through difficult things? And I I know I've given you this quote before, but I want to give it to you again. It's from Alan Redpath, and he says, There is nothing, no circumstance, no trouble, no testing that can ever touch me until, first of all, it has gone past God and past Christ 
right through to me. And if it has come that far, it has come with a great purpose. Any lemon in your life is something that's allowed by God. And if it's allowed by Him, then it comes with great purpose. So when they say when life hands you lemons, you can either get sour or you can make lemonade, right? So instead of saying why and get angry and begin to wander and begin to make decisions because you just feel like, well, if God doesn't care about me, then why should I even live for Him? Okay? Is to instead go, okay, Lord, I'm going to trust You even though there's things about this that don't fully make sense for me right now. And you try to make the best of the situation. We need to be careful that we don't become angry with the one who conquered the curse of sin. And we need to realize that there is one, and his name is Satan, and he's the one who caused the curse. And don't allow impatience or disappointment to lead you down a very slippery slope. I'm going to do something that I don't do very often during a message, but there is a song right now from Casting Crowns that's called Scars in Heaven. And I'm going to sing that over you today, and I want you to reflect on the words that you're going to see here on the screen. And as we recognize what James, through the Holy Spirit, is saying, and what that means for us today is understand that we can walk through difficult things here in this life, but ultimately, guys, ultimately, the healing that is found in heaven is final. And there's no more sickness. There's no more death, pain, sorrow. It's gone. And uh, so let's reflect together with this song. If I'd only known the last time would be the last time I would have put off all the things I had to do I would have stayed a little longer Held on a little tighter What I'd give for one more day with you There's a wound here in my heart where something's missing And they tell me that it's gonna heal with time But I know that you are in a place where all your wounds have been erased And knowing yours are healed is healing mine The only scars in heaven They won't belong to me No such thing as broken, and all the old will be made new. And the thought that makes me smile now, even as the tears fall down, is that the only scars in heaven are on the hands that hold you now? I know the road you walk is anything but easy 
picked up your share of scars along the way. But now you're standing in the sun. You fought your fight and your race is run. The pain is all a million miles away. The only scars in I'm standing with you in the sun. I'll fight this fight and this race I'll run till I finally see what you can see. Folks, healing is guaranteed in Jesus Christ. Whether it's this side of heaven or it's that side of heaven. Are you grateful for that? Isn't that amazing? We're going to transition here into a time of communion together. And I'm going to use that very passage that we talked about, that by Jesus' stripes we are healed, and we recognize the sacrifice that he paid on the cross so that we could be set free, first and foremost, from our sin, the spiritual sin that leads to eternal separation from God. But Jesus paid the penalty and the price for sin so that we could have new life. And it's possible there's somebody listening here today that as you begin to process your own life, you just think, have I been healed? Have I been healed by the stripes of Jesus? Has that become real for you in your life? Has He forgiven you? Have you come to Him to receive that? 
And when we pray here in a moment, I'm going to lead you in a prayer to receive that today. It's also possible that somebody's listening and you're walking through a very difficult situation. Life has sort of handed you some lemons and we're going to pray that God would bring a miracle for you into that situation. And then as we share in communion together, we'll come up here and we'll reflect on the great sacrifice that Jesus paid for each one of us. And also available during this time of worship, we'll have the prayer team on either side here. If there's things that you would just like prayer for today, you'd like somebody to partner with you in prayer, we want to lift those things up to the Lord with you. Would you bow your heads as I read this passage and guide us here in prayer? Jesus is despised and rejected by men. He's a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. And surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. Jesus bore the sin of many, and he made intercession for the transgressors. Father God, I thank you that there is a moment in history where the penalty for sin was paid. You sent your son Jesus to suffer on that cross to die for our sin. And there may be somebody listening right now that you have not received the forgiveness of your sin that separates you from God. And I want to invite you to pray with me to receive Jesus into your life today. Pray with me in your heart and say, Jesus, today I give my life to you. And I ask for forgiveness of the sin that separates me from you. And thank you for paying the penalty and the price for that sin. And to set me free. I receive you by grace through faith today as my Lord and Savior. And Lord, for anyone else that's listening today that's walking through a very difficult situation and needs a miracle, I pray, Lord, by your power that is still at work today would move upon these individuals' circumstances. Minister powerfully in them, through them, and right into their situation. We ask for that grace today. And we believe by faith you are at work as we lift this to you. And Lord, as we partake together in communion, we ask that your spirit would be here now.
guiding us, leading us as we reflect. Your body was broken and you shed your blood so that we could be forgiven and healed. And so as we take this bread and this cup, we partake. We do this in remembrance of you and we proclaim your death until you return. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.